stand by for Wyoming Hooking and Hunting Outdoors with your host, Drew Kirby. Hey, this is Luke Holmes. I am Morgan Wallen. I'm Riley Green. I'm Travis Denning. Hey, I'm Aaron Lewis. Hey, it's Luke Bryan. I'm Tim McGraw. What's up? This is Ian Munsick. Ah, uh, this is Craig Morgan. And you're listening to Wyoming Hooking and Hunting Outdoors. My Country 95.5. Welcome back. Thank you so much for tuning in. We sure appreciate it. Of course, if you've missed any of our shows on Wyoming Hooking and Hunting Outdoors, you can go into the My Country app. Click on On Demand and listen to all of our episodes as many times as you'd like. We have got a great show today. The Flushing Flows begin this coming week uh, on March 31st here on the North Platte River. And we have Janet and Matt Hahn from Wyoming Game and Fish Department to give us the insight. Give us the reasoning behind this in great detail. It's fascinating to me and I assume if you love to take advantage of what we have here in Casper, down to Gray Reef, uh, you'll want to listen to the entire show. Of course, it'll be up on demand tomorrow if you miss any of it. Also, Brian Woodward from Rocky Mountain Discount Sports has some insight on baits that you may want to look at when you go into the store the next time and a breakdown of what you would use them for. It's a great informative show to get us into that feeling of spring Let's get it going right now. What do you think? On Wyoming Hooking and Hunting Outdoors with Drew Kirby on My Country 95.5. Hooking and Hunting Outdoors on My Country 95.5. Welcome back to the show. And as we get closer and closer to uh, April and May, that means springtime is upon us. And that means that fishing and tourism is going to be up and the numbers are going to go and you're going to see men and women standing out up to their waist in water throwing their fly rods into the north platte river but to get to that point we have to do some uh maintenance on the river but with the flushing flows that are going to happen here this coming week and we have janet and matt from wyoming game and fish department uh to give us more insight into uh the flushing flows and janet this has been happening for quite some time over 27 years now or close to 27 years absolutely this is something that we can credit back clear to some of our predecessors bill witchers some folks in the audience might might recognize that name that really started working long ago with the bureau of reclamation to do some studies to determine what what was needed to make this a blue trout fisheries by doing these flushing flows have have changed the way this fishery fishes matt before 1995 History shows that, like Janet says, it wasn't the greatest fishing through here, right? Yeah, that's right. Uh, prior to 95, the river was managed through pretty intensive stocking programs. So uh, Game and Fish used to stock 250 to 500,000 uh, fingerling-sized rainbow trout every year. And the reason they had to stock so many fish was there really was no uh, natural reproduction going on in the river. The conditions, the overall conditions in the river weren't, weren't real great. Had a lot of sediment accumulated in, in the channel itself and 
survival was pretty low on the trout. The, the invertebrates that trout rely on for food weren't terribly abundant. So it was pretty much a fairly marginal fishery at that point. Um, I think it was in the late 80s, uh, a couple big water years that saw flows down the Gray Reef Reach, you know, pushing eight, 9,000 CFS, really cleaned up the riverbed. They saw just immense amounts of natural reproduction and trout following that. Um, those populations shot up to seven, 8,000 fish per mile. I think it even got as high as 14,000 fish per mile at one point, but it only took about two years uh, for the river to really silt back up and, and kind of sever all the natural reproduction that was going on and, and populations plummeted back down to four or 500 fish per mile. Um, you know, the, the observations that guys like Bill Witchers and, and Al Condor, who was here at the time, you know, they saw the river go through that transformation and that's when they they kind of thought, hey, we should talk to the Bureau of Reclamation about uh, trying to mimic this through strategic releases of water and see if we can replicate that real uh, cleansing effect of those those pulsed flows and, and see if that'll uh, be beneficial. And So really, for this to, to work and to be done, like is, this isn't just Matt Hahn saying, eh, let's open up the dam today. I mean, there takes a lot of a process for this to happen. It absolutely does, Drew. And and this is sometimes where you need to say thank you to uh, the Bureau of Reclamation, to Matt and his crew for the hard work that they do with the Bureau of Reclamation to coordinate these. And it is a big deal. And, and people don't recognize um, the sacrifices that everybody kind of makes to do this for the fisheries. And, and it is such a, a fantastic opportunity for our community to have this coordination. And, and just thanks to the Bureau of Reclamation for, for being open to this. You know, the, the way the, the North Platte system, the infrastructure is set up really lends itself to uh, doing this type of, of habitat manipulation because the water that's released is destined to be stored in Glendo anyway. And so, you know, a certain amount of water needs to be shuttled from Pathfinder to Glendo Reservoir by the irrigation season. And so basically what we're able to do on this system is just change the timing of how that water is moved. So this is water that's gonna be moved anyway. We're just asking the Bureau of Reclamation to move it in a shorter time frame with with higher magnitude flows so they're able to do this uh, flushing flow here without uh, losing any water storage from the system and they're also able to uh, generate power off of the release as well um, so basically it's just a matter of, of changing how that water is moved from pathfinder to glendo you know something that they're going to move that water anyway it's just we can we can change how it's moved in a way that that provides some pretty big benefits to the fishery. Uh, in just a few minutes, we'll return with Janet and Matt from Wyoming Game and Fish Department to get into a little more depth of what these flushing flows uh, consist of and what you need to be aware of. It's coming up on the show. Wyoming hooking and hunting outdoors. My country, 95.5. All right, we're back. Thank you so much for joining us. Of course, you can listen to all of our shows on demand at the My Country 95.5 mobile app. And if you have a question for Game and Fish, uh, we can get that answered very simply. So go to the chat now feature 
and ask any sort of question. Doesn't have to be all about the flushing flows or fishing or hunting. It's anything Wyoming outdoors. And we're back with Janet and Matt. And the flushing flows began on March 31st and they last for nine days. Uh, and this process is something that doesn't happen every year either. That's correct. A lot of it does depend on a, a lot of coordination that goes in. And so we're, we're very thankful that this year we do get to do it. And we just want to remind people that they do need to be aware. Um, these flushing flows, it's not like a tsunami of water that comes down the river. So you don't have to worry about, you know, this enormous wall of water coming your way. But slowly and surely, it will increase from 400 cubic feet per second clear up to 4,000. So, you know, you can go from, from wading about uh, hip deep out there, kind of thinking you're pretty cool, casting your fly to maybe uh, not so cool floating down the river. So we have had incidents in the past where, where folks haven't been paying attention because, again, it doesn't happen super quickly, and they have been out in the, the water, and then all of a sudden it is too deep to wade back across. So once this process is complete after nine days, so the fluctuation of water going from 400 to 450 up to 4,000, uh, will that change the depths that the river is at this point? Oh, yeah, you bet. Uh, 4,000 CFS in, a, in your typical riffle area will be about probably three and a half to four feet deeper um, than what it is at currently at 450 CFS, but not only will it be, you know, three feet deeper, but velocities will also be much higher as well. So you could go from even though, you know, I can I can wade through four feet of water, no problem, but I can't wade through four feet of water that's moving at six feet per second, you know, it'll just sweep you off your feet, so. I cannot wade through four feet of water effectively. And so we do always have to watch that. And it is something that, you know, in all seriousness, it is getting nice out. We're all enjoying being outside. You can be standing out in the river, throwing a stick for your retriever. And then all of a sudden you're, you're kind of not paying attention. And then it might be a Janet situation where you're in over your head. And being this time of year, you said, you know, we're going to get into the seventies at, at points over the next couple of weeks. So people are going to be out floating the river. Does it make it a difference for the boats that are on the water too? It can for the first few days of the flush. So the first, usually about two to three days, um, it, there's a lot of sediment built up in the in the river, all the stuff that's accumulated over the winter and that. And so that really gets to mobilizing that that sediment. And so the first couple of days, that river will be pretty off color, um, especially a little ways downstream. You know, at Gray Reef, it tends to clear up pretty quick. But um, if you're fishing down below Lusby on down through town, um, the first couple of days, it's going to be pretty off color, even um, during the low part of the of the cycle, but it clears up after that. And uh, it, from, you know, all accounts, it still fishes pretty good. Um, you just may have to change uh, the time of day that you're wanting to fish. Uh, those, those flows are released uh, starting at midnight and they're usually wrapped up by about 10 in the morning up at Gray Reef. And so um, if you show up at Gray Reef at six in the morning to launch, you'll still be looking at, you know, probably around 2000 CFS of flow that once you launch is, is going to go down. But um, if you're down here, say you're fishing down here in Murad Park, say um, those those flows reach Casper, you know, early to mid afternoon. So if you're 
uh, planning on going out, you know, you like to run out after work and fish, uh, just be aware that during those those nine days of that flush, when you get off work and head down to the river at, at five or six o'clock at night, uh, it's going to be ripping down here. So you may want to go up towards Gray Reef, you know, just kind of be aware of that. And then once we get past the nine days, then life is back to normal. We're flowing at 450 and, and kind of keeping everything normal at that point. Yep. Yep. At that point of the river right now is, is slated to go back to 450 CFS. And, um, you know, I don't know, obviously it, it'll increase at some point as we go through the spring and into early summer, uh, with irrigation demand, but, uh, um, I, I don't know when that'll be, but I would expect it to remain at 450 CFS for at least several weeks following the flush. It's no secret that Wyoming hooking and hunting outdoors on my country, 95.5. We greatly appreciate you sticking around and, and getting all this information on the flushing flows. It's very fascinating to me, uh, Janet and Matt Hahn from Wyoming Game and Fish. So this may be an, an odd question, or, but if you're wading in the river at this point with the sediment and you know it's not as clean as normally it would be will the way that you grip the the bottom change at all or any conditions on the bottom no not really most of the sediment that's that's getting moved moved is uh move it most of the sediment that's getting moved is is out of the spaces in amongst the gravel so like if you look at the surface of a say a gravelly riffle right now, you still see gravel. Um, if you were to reach down and grab a handful of that gravel and look at it, you'll notice that there's a lot of sand, real fine particles in amongst the gravel itself. But what the flushing flow does is it it, it kind of moves the the riverbed around just slightly, and it it plucks a lot of that fine sediment out of the gravel itself. So when the flushing flow is done, you still have the gravel. And when you look at it, it still looks like gravel, although it usually looks a little cleaner because a lot of the algae that's kind of accumulated on the surface, the real superficial stuff has been moved. But the big difference is what has happened within the gravel. So if you grab a handful of the gravel, it'll be a lot less silt. And uh, quite a few years ago, we did we did a lot of testing of this using a, it's called a freeze core probe, which Basically, you drive it into the riverbed and you pour liquid nitrogen into it and it freezes everything to this metal rod. And when you pull it out, it preserves the sample. You don't lose any of the fine sediment uh, to water washing it away when you extract the sample. And so you can you can then thaw that out and dry it, run it through sieves, um, separate it out by all the different sizes that are present in the sample. And, and you can calculate these spawning quality indices that they basically are a way to quantify how clean the gravel is as it relates to trout spawning. And, and so what you'll see is, you know, this, this index improve pretty remarkably from immediately before the flushing flow until immediately past the flushing flow. So that's where the biggest difference is. It's not necessarily what you see on the surface. It's what's three, four layers of gravel down in, in, the, in the riffle. And that's, you know, one of the things that Matt was talking about is the science behind it. I mean, this there has been studies done. They were all out. Oh, gosh, that's been a number of years ago, 10, 15 years ago, doing these freeze core samples and, and studying all of this and quantifying it. And so it is a really um, science based project that we're doing. And we do get to see lots of effects from that. And I think that that is worth noting. It's not just a feel good um, process that we're going through. Kids, if you want to work with Game and Fish, 
really focus on your science because that really is a major part of all divisions uh, in Game and Fish, isn't it? It's pretty much all we do. It's all science. So remember that. And the bottom line of this uh, entire conversation is about the spawn that's about to, to happen to increase and make sure that the numbers are, are good to keep this a fine fishing establishment that it has been built over the last 27 years. Exactly. And, and Drew, when you first started this, you gave a great description of, of a fly fisherman standing out there. Um, one of the things that you did forget to say is that while you're standing out there losing your rod in the North Platte River, that you're probably also cussing game and fish. But sometimes you can thank us for things. And when things go downhill, you can cuss us for things. But but this is one of those things that is a really positive um, joint adventure with a Bureau of Reclamation that we're really proud of. It's funny. I've heard praise and angst in the same sentence for uh, for game and fish. But you guys do a fantastic job. And Without you, obviously, uh, Wyoming wouldn't have the fantastic outdoor life that we do, and, and we sure appreciate all that. And thanks again for uh, for helping us out. Thanks, Drew. Wyoming hooking and hunting outdoors on My Country 95.5. You know, this week we've been talking to uh, Game and Fish about the flushing flows that will be happening here next week. So, uh, Brian, you walk in Rocky Mountain Discount Sports, and one of the first things you can see is the line of fishing rods. We have, I would have to say, the largest selection of fishing rods of anybody in Wyoming for sure. I mean, you have it, anything and everything, all the way from fly fishing to, you know, just the ice fishing rods. Yeah, you know, ice fishing is kind of wrapping up here, and uh, we're going to be putting that stuff away shortly and uh, kind of turn over to our spring fishing and camping section over there. But, um, yeah, in terms of, you know, just whether you're a trout fisherman or panfish or walleye guy, I mean, we've, we've got pretty much a rod in this store that will take care of any one of those needs. Now, it, if I'm a, a new guy, and we kind of talked about this a little bit, if I'm coming in to get the easiest for me to use uh, what would be the the best type of reel to go with well i would say you know 85 percent of the people are, are still going with an open face reel uh we see a lot of people that are just starting their kids off you know maybe let's say four to you know 10 years old or, or sometimes still going with the closed face the zebco push right. button that works well for that age group but um, as you get a little more progressive and you want to have a few more options maybe just be able to cast a little further and just have a little bit better feel all in all we do really well with a lot of different brands of reels i mean i'm i'm really uh, an advocate of like a lot of the uh, fluger uh, president or try on reels good ball bearing systems and they're nice smooth actions and they're all at a, a reasonable price so when you're looking at the rows and rows of, of rods and reels that well what's the difference you just go and you you just pick one and you go but actually the length is a, a whole different uh, story when it comes to what you're using it for as well yeah and length and uh, just the uh, overall action of the rod um, the size of the reel depending on what a person's going to do so you know if you're going to be just bank fishing for trout you know a lot of times people will start with a anywhere from a 6.6 six to a 7-foot rod. That gives you a little bit longer uh, ability to cast a little bit further. And most of those uh, rods you'll pair up with a, a size 25 or a 30 reel where it holds you know, a plenty of line that would uh, you know get you the distance that you're looking for. The bait is an, another question that you come in here and it's a little overwhelming because you, know, you go up and down the aisles and you see different names and kind of the, the same bait, but there is a, a difference behind all the bait as well. 
Yeah, and really it kind of depends on, you know, what a person's looking at doing. I mean, we're going to probably give some recommendations a lot different to a, someone that's just fishing from the bank than would be fishing from, from a boat. You know, our, our goal is to get you the, the equipment that's going to work best for you and make you the most successful. If somebody comes in and they're like, well, you know, we live in one of the great fishing areas in the world, I don't really know what I want to go fishing for. I mean, that kind of is a, a more broad list that they need, but still you guys can help them out with that too. Yeah, you know, funny stories. You know, a lot of times I get people that come in and, and they only fish that one time a year and they're going to, you know, let's say Pathfinder or Alcova and they're like, well, what should I buy? Well, it's funny because a lot of times I'll get people to come back in the day after and like, this is the first time I've been somewhere where they actually sold me something that worked. Where's where some more of those? <laughs> I mean, we, we want to see the excitement on people's face, and we want you to come back, and we want you to, to be successful. And, um, you know, especially on the trout side of things, we can certainly gear you right, you know, the right direction on being successful both on the river and on the on the reservoirs. And in terms of walleye, I mean, we've got some stuff that works great, you know, from shore fishing all the way out to the, the boats and the finesse jigging and, and trolling with planer boards. So, yeah, we got it all covered. You know, we talk a lot about having the live bait here and, as well as the artificial bait what's the difference typically in the spring especially for the walleye guys uh we see a lot more bait fishermen those fish i don't know if it's just because of the water temperature and they're coming off of you know being a little more lethargic over the winter but you know a jig and a minnow is usually a, a really high preferred uh, method uh during during the spring fishing um as the water temperature warms up and the fish become more active then that's when we can kind of transition more to the artificial baits, whether it's a Rapala crankbait or we go into like a Zoom Fluke plastics that would still imitate a minnow, but the fish being a little more aggressive and competing more for, for food, uh, they tend to be a little more active and chase, chase those uh, artificials a little bit better. Well, if you have more questions about the bait, uh, obviously they have professionals here at Rocky Mountain Discount Sports that can, can help you out. And, and matter of fact, most everybody that works here probably has put a line in the water at some point in their oh, life. Oh, yeah. Yep. And uh, anytime that uh, they just want recommendations on, you know, where the bite is, we don't uh, we don't have a big, you know, board that uh, tells everybody what the conditions are. But I'd rather hear it from the horse's mouth myself. So Absolutely. Get out here and check it out. CY Avenue in Casper. It's Rocky Mountain Discount Sports. Thanks, Brian. Thanks. Awesome. We have got another great show next week. I can't wait to get into it. We're into fishing season and boating season. So much to cover and uh, plenty of time. So hang around. Go over to the app and listen to all of our episodes on demand. And thank you so much for tuning in.